Blog Talk Hi. Radio. Well, this is the Hellbender Book Show on the Book Speak Network. I'm your host, Kyle Alexander Romines. <laughs> Well, a little about me by way of introduction. I'm an author from Kentucky. I'm also a medical doctor. I graduated from the University of Louisville School of Medicine in 2017. Uh, My debut horror novel, The Keeper of the Crows, appeared on the preliminary ballot of the 2015 Bram Stoker Awards. Uh, I've also written six other books uh, in all different kinds of genres, and they're all available for purchase in ebook and paperback. And on this show, the Hellbender Book Show, I'll be reviewing horror novels and interviewing authors, and I'll be joined by some of my co-hosts and friends. Tonight, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Mills. Uh, Joe, will you introduce yourself for the new listeners in the audience? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Joe. I'm definitely not an author, but I'm uh, definitely a big fan of horror. Uh, I live horror every day in that I work in IT support which uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, who feel that. And uh, I'm just definitely here to uh, discuss some horror books and have some fun. That's great. And Joe is also uh, soon to be an audio narrator as well. Joe does a great job. He did a great job on our last show uh, uh, narrating the voice of Jack the Ripper for Michael Hawley's books. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what he brings to the table with our guest books tonight. Well, let's get started. Uh, I would like to introduce tonight's guest, Thomas Malafarina. Did I get that right, Tom? Perfect. Now, Tom is the author of many books, uh, including Malformed Realities, which is one of his many collections of horror short stories, uh, and the horror novel Burner. Uh, But that's that's just a hint. Uh, I mean... Tom is very prolific. I just read Joe. I tell you what, Joe. Why don't you read uh, Tom's bio for our listeners? Certainly, uh, Thomas M. Malafrina is an author of horror fiction from Pennsylvania. To date, he has published seven horror novels, including What Waits Beneath, Burner, From the Dark, Circle of Blood, Dead Kill Book One: The Ridge of Death, Dead Kill Book Two: The Ridge of Change and Dead Kill Book 3, The Ridge of War. He's also published six collections of horror short stories, including 13 Deadly Endings, Ghost Shadows, Undead Living, and most recently, Malformed Realities, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. All of his books are published through Hellbender Books, an imprint of Sunbury Press. In addition, many of Thomas' stories have appeared in anthologies and e-magazines. Some have been produced and presented for internet podcasts and radio plays as well. Thomas is best known for the twists and surprises in his stories, as well as his descriptive, often gory passages. Thomas is also an artist, musician, singer, and songwriter. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Kyle. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. I'll tell you what, before I get to the questions I've prepared, just listening to Joe read your bio, I was I was really struck by just how prolific you are, whether it's short stories or novels. Um, how this isn't, I'm not asking where do your ideas come from, but I, I am very curious, what is, how do you write, how are you so prolific? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, everything I've written, which you know you read in my bio, and probably over 150 short stories, have all been essentially, except for one or two novels, which I wrote in 2008, 2009, and was published in 2010. Everything else has come since 2010. So you're talking eight years. Um, I don't know. I'm just constantly writing all the time. And uh, I never seem to have any shortage of ideas. I I can't explain it. Do you do you write every day? 
every day, everywhere. Um, and, and, and primary reason for that is, you know, I, I work full time. Uh, I play in two bands on the weekends. I'm a father or grandfather. I've got, uh, and a husband and, uh, do home projects. And, uh, so any chance I get to write, I write, I write before bed. I write when I'm waiting for an oil change or sitting in the doctor's office waiting to be seen. Uh, any chance I can find, I write and I pretty much can write anywhere. I don't have to have ideal conditions. I just write. <laughs> well, wow. I completely understand where you're coming from. As somebody who I, I kind of have amused myself. I, I, if I don't write, I feel like the ideas are just going to come spinning out of me. Um, if I go for mm-hmm. periods without writing, it just feels wrong. Like I'm gripped by this. Yes. I have all these ideas in my head, and I'm I'm not a I'm not an artist. Um, I'm not a filmmaker. The only way I know how to get them out is to is to write them down, and that's actually how I got started writing. Sure, sure. Now we, we've heard about your bio, <laughs> right? We've heard of your bio. Why don't you tell us about yourself in your own words, not just as an author, but as a person? As I said earlier, uh, I'm just a guy. I work uh, for a living. The thing that pays my bills, since as most writers know, writing seldom does. Uh, there's only a handful of people who can earn a decent living writing. Uh, for me, it's 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 a you know you know what it's like. Uh, I earn my living full time as a senior manufacturing engineer for a major corporation, programming and working with computer-controlled equipment, CNC machines, as they're known. Uh, I I play in two different bands, an acoustic blues band and an electric blues band uh, on weekends. Not every weekend, but periodically um, to take care of the music side. Uh, I do horror art. I, um, gosh, it, it's funny. I, I have the creative side and I have the analytical side. My boss tells me I'm the first person he ever met who can flip a switch, come to work and be completely organized and, and analytical left brained and then leave, flip the switch and play music, draw, write stories and do all that sort of thing. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a uh, grandfather and father and uh, family is very important to me. And I never let my writing get in the way of the family, but the family is very supportive. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty much me. <laughs> sounds so no, that sounds so fascinating. I listening to you talk like it, it makes me sad that I'm in Kentucky and a lot of Sunbird, the Hellbender authors are many of them are based out of Pennsylvania because I I think it would be a yeah. real blast to meet you in person. Um, well, <laughs> Joe, was there something you were trying to ask Tom before I I think I might have cut you off? Uh, I don't know if I had a specific question. I just like he started describing all the things that he does. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, wow. Um, I, I guess, Tom, so you, you let me go ahead and ask an official question. So how, how did you get into writing horror? Like, how did you, when was, when did you first dip your toe or was it really just a dive in? You never really came back up for air. Well, sort of, sort of a dive in and never came back up. I, I've been a fan of horror my entire life. I mean, like, since for as long as I can remember, since I was a little kid. And um, I have this, uh, had this massive collection of horror movies that I like to like to watch. And, of course, my wife, by the way, my wife hates horror. She doesn't watch horror, but she tolerates me. Um, but anyway, I, I had this collection of horror movies. Some are very good and some are very, very, very bad. And I, I just started getting frustrated with, the bad ones. And so back in 2007, 2008, I decided to sit down and try to write my own screenplay thinking I could do better than that. I can write, I can write a cool horror movie. So I sat down and wrote a screenplay, which I tried to, you know, pass around. But one thing I learned with the screenplay is that directors like to direct and they don't like people telling them everything in every scene. And so I didn't know, you know much about screenplays. I had looked at a few and tried to copy them, but I had much too much detail in them. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take this. I'm going to turn it into a novel. And that became what waits beneath. 
Um, so if you read that sometime and it seems like, wow, this, this would probably be cool as a, as a horror movie, it's because I am, I'm a major horror movie fan. Although I, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I probably haven't seen a horror movie maybe two or three in the last ten year, eight years because I've got fed up with them. And unless something is, is you know, broadcast as being really, really good, or or if I'm homesick, if I have a bad cough or something and I'm home from work, I'll just flip around and go through horror movies that I find on, on various channels. And usually at that point I'm like cough medicine and don't remember them anyway. But but I had gotten so frustrated <laughs> with horror movies that I decided to start writing. And what I found, and I know, you know, uh, this question is, is often asking me if I have a plan, do I lay things out? And I don't. I just sit down and I start writing and see what happens. And I write as if I am watching a horror movie for the first time. Um, I don't consider myself a writer. I just consider myself as a a scribe. These ideas come into my head from somewhere and I write them down. And I have no idea what's going to happen. Halfway through a novel, I don't know how it's going to end. And then I get to a part, you know, and something happens and it's like, Ooh, that's really cool. I didn't know that was going to happen. It's like, what do you mean you didn't know it was going to happen? You wrote the darn thing. And, and I, I do that. And, and what happened, and that's one of the reasons I don't watch horror movies very much anymore, besides not having much time, it's I get such a thrill out of seeing where a story is going to go that it's actually more of a thrill for me than sitting down and watching somebody else's horror movie. Okay. <laughs> if that explains anything, yeah. That's, wow, that's incredibly um, Well, the the thing that gets me, Tom, is, is I've interviewed a few people, and obviously I've interact, I've had the good fortune of interacting with interacting with very many authors over the course of since I started writing, whether it's at local signings or uh, conventions in Kentucky. And you are the first person that I've talked to that it sounds like I'm talking to myself. I, I'm floored <laughs> because that's I. I could say the same thing. So like my Western, for example, I watched a Western movie with my dad and I was like, wow, that was terrible. I could do a better job. And he's like, well then do it. And so I started writing a Western. <laughs> yeah. uh, I grew up. By the uh, way, I love my Westerns. First... <laughs> oh, good. Um, but my horror yeah. novels, um, they, they, I wrote those first before any other, before I branched out into any genre. And they were based on my love of horror movies, especially the B horror movies. And I just, I remember watching like the, the horror movie marathons on the sci-fi channel or AMC when I was in Mm -hmm. college. And I just, I just loved them. Um, I would encourage you. uh, There are several really solid uh, horror movies. I think that have have come out in the last few years. Uh, If you get the chance and maybe you're uh, have some free time one day or you're indisposed and want something to do, uh, check out hereditary, uh, Sinister, mm-hmm. The Cabin in the Woods. Um, what am I leaving out? Uh, there's a The Witch. Uh, a couple really solid ones. I, I, because I know exactly where you're coming from. After watching all those back in the day, I got to a point where <coughs> I couldn't handle yeah. it anymore. I, I started recognizing a lot of the same tropes, and I was looking for something new. Right. Uh, but you should definitely check out those books. One more thing, and yeah. I'll stop my rambling at you and ask another question. I love the cover for your book, What Waits Beneath, and the premise <laughs> sounds so intriguing to me. I, I looked at that, and if, if you're listening in the audience, you need to check out Tom's books, but especially look at some of these covers, um, The 13 Deadly Endings and What Waits Beneath. They just have some real beautiful covers. But but to the next question, um, i tell you, uh, how did you get picked up by Sunbury Press? Um, well, I had uh, I, I submitted some stuff to Sunbury. Uh, I had just finished the uh, the novel version of What Waits Beneath, and I had finished what at that time was called Thirteen. Um, it's now Thirteen Deadly Endings because I rewrote it and changed some stuff. But um, anyway, we'll call it Thirteen Deadly Endings. I had just finished that one, and I had just finished. What Waits Beneath, and I had started on Burner. And I came upon Sunbury Press, and I, I, I knew they were small, and I knew they were trying to build. And I thought, oh, I also knew they were primarily nonfiction. 
and historic. But I thought, what the heck? Maybe they'll want to expand into par. Maybe they'll give it a try. The most that would happen is they would say no. And believe me, that wouldn't be the first time somebody said no. <laughs> we all get rejected. I still get rejected for short stories all the time. It's part of the part of the gig. But I submitted um, uh, What Waits Beneath, which at the time was called 99 Souls. And uh, it was called, and then I submitted my short story collection, which at the time didn't even have a title, uh, and uh, to to Lawrence Knorr, and he read them, and really liked them. And I said, well, I got another one in the works. I don't know where it's going to end up, but I got another one in there. So he uh, signed me for all three books: uh, Burner, uh, at the time, Ninety Nine Souls, and Thirteen Nasty Endings. Ninety Nine Souls became What Waits Beneath. 13 Nasty Endings became 13 Deadly Endings. And then Burner at the time was called Burn Phone. It's now called Burner. And uh, I had, uh, that, was, that was the start. And I just went from there and just kept writing. And, and, and what I tend to do is when I'm working on a novel, I'll take a break from the novel, write some short stories, and then come back and look at it fresh again and bounce back and forth. It keeps you from getting, uh, you know, mental block and not, you know, writer's block and not being able to come up with ideas. I just, you know, or getting bored with the novel, you know, you work on a novel, novels can be very intense and, and take a lot of your time. And so what I'll do is I'll work on that. And when I start feeling that it's not fun anymore, I'll stop, move off, do some short stories, then come back and look at it again and say, oh yeah, that's where I want to go now. Because usually, you know, you, you'll write and then I go back and read it all again and start right. asking questions. What about this? What about that? What about this? And it's like, okay, now I'm heading in another direction. Here I go. Look out. Wonder where I'm going now. I don't know. It sounds like talking to you that writer's block isn't a pro- isn't a real problem. Uh, looking at your no, body of work. Been. Uh, well, I tell you, I have what, an, I, you know, I, I, like I say I do have an advantage in that I don't rely on this for an income. I have a job that pays my bills, so this for me is just pure pleasure all the way. Even editing isn't really pleasure, but you know, you got to do it. But you know, for me, this is just complete pleasure. So nobody's beating on me and saying, uh, you know, you got to get this done by this date or blah, 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 blah. We gave you an advance, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't work that way for me. So that's why I think I've never, it's not a job. I think if it was a job, it wouldn't be as much fun. Well, let's Al, start I think you've talking got it figured out. <laughs> let's start talking about your books. Uh, Joe, sure. will you read the description of Thomas's uh, short story collection, Malformed Realities? Sure thing. Please enjoy yet another journey into the darkest corners of the mind of Thomas Malaparina. This collection is called Malformed Realities, not just as a clever play on his last name, but because distorting and twisting reality into something it was never intended to be is what he enjoys doing best. And if in the process he manages to disturb and frighten you along the way, then all the better. Stories included in this volume, When They Come For You, A Love Best Served Cold, Megasynth RP1, Brass, Inspector 17, Hear No Evil, Big Frankie, Dinner with Andy and Meg, Cold, Cold Woman, If Thine Eye Offend Thee, Homecoming, Passageways to Perniciousness, Storage, Cutaneous Horn, Ice House, Single Panel, The Brand, Breeze, Tools of the Trade, Zombie Party, and The Scales Fell from My Eyes, Novella. Thomas, that's a lot. I love wow. those. Yeah, <laughs> and I love those titles, too. <laughs> I do all my own titles. I make them all up. Uh, why don't you tell us about Malformed Realities? Uh, we read the description, but tell us about the book in your own words. Um, well, there's actually, right now, there's three published. There's volume one, there's volume two, and volume three. Uh, probably sometime this year, volume four will come out. I'm always ahead of the curve. I already have volume five ready 
to go for editing, but that probably won't happen until either the end of the year or 2020. Um, but basically, what, where, where they started, I'll tell you where vol- the first volume came from. We had, through Sunbury, um, we had released different short story collections of some of my short stories. Not, not all of them that are in here, but a few that are in here uh, under, under different titles back, way back in the beginning. And um, let me see, I'm even trying to remember what the heck we call them. One, one was, uh, oh, oh um, Malafarina uh, Malificarum. That was Lawrence's idea, volume one and two, and they were short story collections. We had another one that was called uh, Gallery of Horror. And uh, I just kept writing short stories. So what we decided to do was discontinue those three and come up with a new series. And so we came up with this. We picked a few stories from those. And then we uh, – and also the purpose of those two original ones, they were kind of thick – uh, some of them, they each contained one of my earlier novels, too. And the whole purpose was to get them out there to get people to see what I did. Uh, so we decided to come up with this new series. And what we did is I wrote a bunch of new stories and then picked a few of the others. And what I did through all three, which are currently published, is wrote new stories and threw some of the others in from the earlier days, salt and peppered them in there, you know, a little bit so that we could get them back out out in the public again, and then we discontinued the other ones. Um, they're, they're not really theme-based. They're just a collection of different stories I wrote. And, uh, and and I continue to write short stories, so very shortly I'll probably start Maliform Realities Volume 6, even though only up till 3 is published right now. So uh, well, you're, you're like you me. Know, they're just all uh, different. I have a, yeah. yeah, I have a backlog right now with the in the queue, in the editing queue as well, I've got the uh, yeah, first two yeah. sequels to my Keeper books that I'm, I've probably had there sitting there since at least 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me ask. We're gonna we're gonna play a little game, Tom. Uh, we're gonna okay. with, with my co-host Joe Mills. We're gonna put you on the spot. I, I didn't tell you okay. this in advance, so this should be fun for okay. our listeners. And I, I haven't told Joe either. Joe is oh, going boy. to pick. <laughs> Five titles that interest him from the stories included in this volume, in volume one, and you're going to tell us what you can about the basic plot of those stories. And I know that it can sure. be hard when you've written so it many can stories be hard to, to remember. remember. So we're, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So that's what's going to be fun oh, about man. this. All right, Joe, find yeah, the, sure. the titles that five titles that interest you the most. On um, and we're talking about hold on. Malformed? Yeah. Yeah, volume one. Uh, okay, let me pull those up because I think I've just got the ones from volume three here. So give me just a moment because um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, kind of off. I was looking at your uh, looking at your Amazon page earlier, and I was just looking through like all the books, and literally I kind of felt like I was in a virtual library because the, the list of books just kept going. So here we mm-hmm. go. Okay. Um, Malformed Realities Volume 1. This was the one. Let's see. It's currently on Amazon. I want to know about Megasynth RP1. <laughs> that was a story I wrote. Now, I, I don't tend to write, um, what did I call it? Uh, steampunk type novels. It's not something I'm real familiar with, um, but I have a friend uh, down in um, Williamsburg, Virginia, and he put together, uh, he was putting together uh, a book, and he wanted a short story that uh, that fit in there. His name's Mark Slade, and he does a lot of work with uh, Horrified Press over in England, and I met him uh, actually, the way I met him is he had written a story for uh, uh, Undead Living, which was a, uh, a Sunbury pub, uh, book that I that I uh, edited, and uh, that's how I got to know him. and And I've written a number of stories for him and with him, and he was putting together this uh, steampunk type uh, 
novel based around World War One. had things taken a different turn and had we lost and a lot of sci-fi type stuff in it. And he kind of gave me the Bible, you know, told me what the the premise of the novel was and uh, asked me if I could come up with a story. So I came up with that story. Uh, and now if you want detail, I don't remember a whole lot. But uh, I remember I had a lot of fun with it because I uh, it, it was a world I'm not used to working in. I mean, uh, I, I have done things where people have asked, you know, like most of my short stories are the result of, you know, some uh, uh, anthology out there where they're, they have a specific theme and they're looking for stories and I'll look at the theme and if it appeals to me, I'll say, okay, I'll write a story around that and they'll either like it or they won't. But in this case, it was a little bit more of a challenge because it had some direction that I was supposed to head in and I'm not really used to having direction. Um, but anyway, it has, it's got, you know, it's kind of steampunky. It's a steampunky with World War I, right? Yeah, World War I, but it's very sci-fi-ish, too. Uh, I'd have to sit down and remember what the whole premise was uh, because I had to keep going back and referencing the notes when I wrote it because it's like, this isn't really something I usually do, but he liked it. We put it in. Okay. I, think at the begin- I think at the beginning of that story, I even mentioned something about that, an author's note, because it's not my norm. There's okay. one. I can I can I can dig it. Okay. Tell me about Big Frankie. Oh Big Frankie, that's a cool one. When I was a kid, like about, you know, six or seven, of course I was into horror. Uh, I used to collect all the uh the models, the Aurora models and put them together, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula and all those things. And uh one day my dad bought me something that was called Big Frankie. It was a model of Frankenstein. It was about stood about two and a half feet tall, and the arms moved, and it had you know a piece of the tombstone on the end of a chain that it drug around. It didn't move or anything other than the arms, but it was a model, and he put it together and painted it. And uh, I loved it. I really loved it. And I decided to take that and put it into a story. Uh, and and what it amounted to was. Um, Two kids had grown up together. One was very wealthy, and he had this big Frankie toy. Wait, wait, I'm getting my stories mixed up. Hold on. Bum, bum. The bum, bum, bum. Big Frankie. I forget where that ended. I'm getting mixed up with another one I did. Uh, So you had Big Frankie in another story, too? No, 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 no. Then I had another toy that... uh, in a story, and that was, I don't know if you guys remember the great Garlou from back in the 60s. It was a uh, a monster that was battery-powered. That's the one I was getting it confused with. Uh, I okay. wrote another okay. story relating about a toy. But, you know, I'm going to have to read Big Frankie again. I can't remember it. That's terrible. Yeah, well, when you're right, it'll be like 150 a- stories. I was about to it's say, that, you know, that's honestly not a bad problem. You've written so much. That it that it, oh, it it'll is. take time for you to remember. <laughs> okay, well, that's what I thought kind of... fun about this game. Yeah. Well, what, um, well it's funny the, is I, the I've the done signings. One. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. done signings already where people will ask me about specific characters and they'll talk about them by name like they know them, and it's like, oh my god, I have no idea. I have to go back and read it again, you know, because once once I put it to bed, it's it's put to bed. I move on. Number two be in a, three, I guess. I just want to make an oddball comment. I with your writing style, um, if you were in a grocery store, they would put the organic label on you. You know that, right? Like the <laughs> way organic. It, Why is that? Yeah, because well, you know, I I see a lot of different people when they write. They have different styles, right? And some people mm-hmm. um, like uh, one of my favorite fantasy authors, Brandon Sanderson. He is an architect. And he builds mm-hmm. his he builds his stories, he builds his universes, and it all kind of connects uh-huh. together. But one of my other favorite uh, authors uh, who writes fantasy things, Patrick Rothfuss, he when he's writing a character or a story, it's more like he's growing something like off the vine, almost like a vegetable or, or a fruit. Yeah. And you watch this, you watch the uh, the vines get thicker and grow as the story, and then you see you know curls off. And then mm-hmm. that's that's how it feels like the way you describe your writing 
I feel like it's, it's just a very organic way of yeah, writing. Like probably you, you don't even have a game it, plan. Yeah. You just go for it. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes so get, sometimes there's a like I say sometimes there's a little uh, interaction where I'll have a universe that uh, I'll be in one short story and it'll make reference to something. Especially since I write a lot about uh, a fictitious town of Ashton. Pennsylvania and Schuylkill County, what will happen is there will be references in a short story to maybe something that happened in a novel. So there are references from all these short stories. They interconnect, yet it's not on purpose. If it's convenient, I interconnect them. If it's not, I don't even worry about it. I just let it go where it goes. I see. Organic all the way. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Let's go ahead and move on to that third title then. Uh, If Thine Eye Offend Thee. Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's an interesting one too. That is one where um, I I have a character who is trying to experiment and find ways to see things that nobody else can see. Uh, maybe from back in the days of drugs, you know, where people used to take drugs to expand their mind and and stuff like that. And I forgot my original premise, but I know I remember. I remember the end, or toward the end, is he starts to see things and creatures that nobody else can see. Creatures that are probably from another dimension that are around us all the time, and we can't see them, and they can't see us, but he can see them, and. It, it essentially drives him crazy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to give you the whole ending away, but I'm pretty sure that's what that one's about. Okay. I, I, I have a handful that. of them that – I have a handful of them. Kind of like, you know, when you read a lot, there's probably like one or two books that you remember intently. And a lot oh, – it was really good, but I don't remember all the details. And that's how it is with my stories. When I put them to bed, I, I don't remember. I can respect that. Okay. So let's move on to the fourth one. Cutaneous horns. Ah, yeah that 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 started out as uh, it became a short story. It started out as um, you know just a little uh, flash fiction, and mm-hmm. basically it's um, a guy is sitting in a diner and he's uh, you know eating a meal, and a guy comes in and sits down next to him, and he's got these growths coming out of his his dark coat comes in, sits down, he's got growths coming out of his forehead. And the guy looks over and looks back and he's continues eating. And he looks over and he tells him, Oh, cutaneous horns. He said there are, and he goes into a description of what causes them. And, uh, you know, explains to the guy. And and if you ever look it up, there are such a thing. There are growths that that, that can come out and form in in people's heads or different parts of your body. The guy said, yeah, I'm a dermatologist. I know all about that stuff. And the other guy sitting next to me says, oh, hmm, okay. And he tells him to take, and then uh, he tells him to look down at the floor. The guy turns and looks down at the floor, and he sees his own body laying on the floor. This guy gets up. The the premise is he's not somebody with these growths. He's actually a demon who came to steal this guy and take his soul. And this guy's sitting there. He's dead. He's sitting at the counter and doesn't realize he's dead. So that's a very bad description of it. It, it reads much better. And that's one thing you'll learn about me. I write much better than I speak. <laughs> and that's probably a bad description of, of the story, but it, it's a cool story when you sit down and read it because I take my time and figure out how to write it properly. I always, I always kid people or I always joke and tell people that uh, English is my second language, but cold speak is my first because I'm from the cold region. And if anybody ever met anybody from the cold region of Pennsylvania, they sort of have their unique way of speaking. So what other one? I tell you what, Joe, I'll ask the last one. Tom, I'd like to hear about cold, cold women. Ah, that that's another one that started out as as a piece of uh flash fiction. And well, I guess I could tell you the whole thing, the whole story, because uh, I just gave the other one away. Um this this is one that has to do um 
No, wait, 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 wait. There I go getting confused again. Nope, getting that mixed up with another one. Don't remember. Don't remember a thing. You know what? I can't believe you didn't. I knew we'd get you with one. (laughs) I can't believe you didn't pick a love best serve cold. Usually people look at that and say, that's that they usually say. That that is a, a nasty little story. Uh, it ends up being a zombie story. Uh, it's um, about this guy, misfit in school, doesn't fit in. He's not really a goth. He's not really, you know, uh, but he doesn't fit in with the school. He doesn't fit in with anybody. Um, he doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have any friends. Uh, he's just a very weird character. Uh, graduates from school, can't figure out what he's going to do for a living, bums around from one job to the next to the next. And finally, he gets his job. Somebody offers him a job, this funeral director, helping him out. So he starts helping out the funeral director, arranging flowers, you know, doing all the stuff they need to do to prepare. And eventually, you know, he gives them a little more responsibility. He lets them help him prepare some of the bodies and all that stuff. And uh, sure enough, at, uh, at one point, he, you know, beautiful young woman comes in who has passed and, of course, this guy discovers that he didn't realize he was a necrophiliac, but all of a sudden he realizes that. And uh, so he does this periodically, and he gets caught by the funeral director. And the guy's threatening to have him arrested, throw him in jail, blah, 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 blah. And he kills the funeral director. And he thinks, now what, am I, what in the world am I going to do? I've just murdered somebody. How am I going to cover this up? And as it would happen, the night this occurred, the zombie apocalypse happened. And this guy became just another body. That, you know, the people are being killed all over the place. They're not even going to notice that this funeral director is dead. In the meantime, this guy realizes that he's living a heaven on earth right now because the world is full of dead bodies and he can have his love best served cold. <laughs> that, that one I remember. A... See, there are some that really do stick with me, and that happens to be one. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty twisted. That's why I remember it. <laughs> okay. That, you know, that's fair. Well, Kelly's still alive uh, over there, buddy? On, uh, on that note, uh, <laughs> let's see. That's a good um, note. Did, so... Uh, how much? I tell you what. How about this? How much does the book cost in paperback and ebook, and where is it available to purchase? Um, all my books are available. This one particularly is fourteen ninety five in paperback. It's on Amazon uh, and it's also in Kindle, but I'm not sure what the Kindle price is. Uh, and you can buy all of them at the Sunbury Press Store as well. Uh, you know, best thing is to you know either jump on the Sunbury Press store and buy it directly or get on Amazon or Google. I mean, and with Amazon, it's worldwide. It's, you know, France, England, China, all over the place. So, uh, but I'm not sure what the Kindle price is because I own a Kindle, but I don't download any books. I just use it for editing purposes. So I, I've never downloaded a Kindle. So I'm looking at the title here. Love, Best, or Cold for Malformed Realities Volume 1 on Amazon. And the Kindle price currently is two ninety nine. Oh, okay. Is that just that's for the book, right, or just is that just the whole just book? The, kind of the ebook. The uh, the print list price right, is right. uh, sixteen ninety five. Oh, and then the like the Kindle price is two ninety nine. Okay. Which I'd say that's more than a bargain. Uh, actually, hold on. Sure. Let me let me do some Amazon wizardry right now. All right, I own one of your books. Oh, very nice. There you go. You already made the customer, and the show's not even done. Um, ka-ching, ka-ching. Well, Joe, uh, while we got you intrigued, will you read a selected excerpt from Malform Realities? Uh, certainly. This is one of the first little bits uh, from one uh, look perusing today. It's called Chuckle Land. Oh, Okay. That must be volume two or three. Uh, yeah, you actually, um, looking, I think it's volume three for this one. This is the, the one you yeah. sent us. So. Mm-hmm. No, not 
not Chuckle Land. Oh, God, it can't be. The man said, as me. The, the massive rusted iron gates of the once semi-famous theme park. God, no. Please, anything but Chuckle Land. The young man, who went by the nickname Boomer, had walked for days through the thick surrounding forest, trying desperately to avoid being eaten alive by the walking cannibalistic clown corpses that now inhabited his world. He had encountered a few and had fortunately been able to destroy them with the katana blade he carried for just such potential dangers. On one occasion, three of the creatures had attacked him simultaneously. The first no match for his razor-sharp blade, which separated the thing's head from its body with ease. Its bright white cap with red and blue spots and orange pom-pom ball on top flying through the air, still attached to its severed skull. A second clown corpse had managed to get its pasty white gloved hands on Boomer's shoulder in an attempt to take him down, but Boomer had sent the tip of his blade backward, passing dangerously close to his own head, and plunging through the thing's eye socket and directly into his brain, killing it instantly. The last creature, although more hideous than the others, was much less trouble as it was a legless thing, which dragged itself toward him, it once bright clown costume now coated with mud, filth, and gore. Its pancake makeup hung in cl- chunks from his face, and it took Boomer a minute to realize what he was actually seeing was the thing's rotting flesh sloughing off underneath the makeup. And that's the excerpt, and uh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, that was wow. a uh, yeah, concept. Uh, someone uh, was looking for a clown... Um, horror, and of course, clowns are horrible on their own, and I kind of combine clowns and I think that I think it was for an anthology about zombie clowns, so you know I remember you know being a kid, you go to these different uh, circuses and amusement parks, and everything looks really cool and fascinating, but then when you look at them as an adult, they look you know cheap and tawdry and and nasty and the cool guy who used to, you know, you remember as a kid working the ride is just like decrepit, smoking, degenerate, God knows what type of person, as you know, when you see it as an adult. So what I wanted to yeah. do was take uh, take an amusement park that had been clown-based, and, uh, you know, the, the theme of the park was clowns. And then, of course, I had to integrate that with zombie clowns. So what happened was... You know, in this particular universe, when when uh, people became zombies, what happened? It was a, a virus, and the first thing that happened was they go insane and have this incredible desire to dress like a clown. So they dressed like a clown, and everybody was running around in clown costumes, and then they died. And when they died, they came back as zombie clowns, which is kind of tricky. You got to figure out. You know, how to get the world in zombie costumes. So that was part of the insanity that happened. And then uh, this guy had been surviving him, and he came back to this park that he remembered as a kid that terrified him as a kid. And it looked like it might be the only place he could have a sanctuary. And and it has a really interesting twist at the end. Okay. I remember that one. I love your your imagination. Zombie killer clown. That's great. <laughs> You're giving the Joker ideas, though. Let's not let him hear about your uh, zombie clown virus. Um, yeah. Let's switch gears for a second. I'm curious, what do you do in the way of marketing your books? What do you do in the way of promotions? What do you do to uh, increase sales? Um, you write so much, and you have your job and your uh, children and grand grandkids do you yeah. kind of just release the release the book and let them sell themselves or do you do you take them uh, more active I do what role? I can um, yeah I mean I do what I can as far as promoting on uh, on the internet and uh, places like that I have you know various various resources online that I that I try to promote too um, I in the beginning I used to do a lot of book signings and go to book shows and things like that. I don't do so much anymore. Not, not necessarily because I don't want to, but just because most of the time it's a waste. Uh, and that's not a waste of time for me because while I'm sitting there, I, uh, I write, you know, I'm sitting there writing while I'm, unless somebody has an interest in talking to me, but you have to have a very targeted 
audience for these things or it doesn't work. Like a lot of times if I do a book signing at just like a general book fair or maybe let's say it's a local book fair where they're taking a bunch of local authors and putting them in one place and you've got romance and you've got, you know, adventure and you've got nonfiction and you've got horror. Most of the time when, if I do a show like that, I end up being like the, the ugly three headed stepchild. I'm sitting there and they go walking by and they look at me and they look down and they see it's horror and they kind of look, give me this look like they just stepped in dog crap or something. And then they move on. You know, or occasionally somebody will show an interest, and of course I'll talk to them and you know sign a book or whatever. But um, for the most part, I mean, heart heart doesn't get any respect. <laughs> it really doesn't. And and I found, I mean, I don't care. I'll still do it no matter what. Um, but a lot of times it doesn't get the respect it deserves, um, and um, people kind of look down their nose at it. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I mean, I've been. This is I'm going to get on my my uh, uh, step stool now and start uh, pontificating here. But one thing I've noticed years ago, and it's really upset me, is how little respect horror gets. If you go to a Barnes & Noble or you go to a Books A Million, which I think there are probably only two big stores left anymore, if you go into a store like that, one of the main stores, there's not even a horror section anymore. There might be a section on uh, – paranormal romance of all things but you'll go look for horror you go look for Stephen King you go look for Dean Koontz you'll find them in uh, fiction um, not not an adventure just some fiction category they'll put them in but there is no horror section anymore you know and the same thing it started actually started back I noticed it first good 10-12 years ago at Best Buy they used to have a horror section when you want to buy DVDs. They eliminated their horror section. Our local Best Buy did, and they just incorporated it with adventure and stuff like that. And it's like horror is just like people are just want, want to pretend it doesn't exist. I, I can't explain it. You know, it, it's funny you say that because I maybe attitudes – it could be a generational thing because I, I have – had a slightly different experience, uh, especially with younger people um, that that are really enthusiastic about horror. Um, now, obviously, mm-hmm. there are in the hierarchy of fiction of um, romance is going to be at the top, mysteries and thrillers. Um, but mm-hmm. I I've found um, I, the the readers that that do enjoy horror are very passionate about it. Um, so oh, it could absolutely. be that attitudes are changing. Um, yeah. Keep our fingers crossed. It's just there's not enough of them. <laughs> right. That's a problem. There's just not um, enough of them. You know. Now, uh, why don't we switch gears and talk about one of your novels in the time we have left? And and just to, for okay. our listeners, I'm Kyle Romines, and this is the Hellbender Book Show. Our guest is Thomas Malaferina, the author of. Uh, Maliformed Realities, the novel Burner, What Waits Beneath, and many other books. Uh, please go to Tom's Amazon page uh, and check out his various books. Uh, this guy, just talking to him, it sounds like he has such a, a, a fervent imagination, um, fertile imagination. And uh, But let's talk about your novel Burner. Uh, Joe, mm-hmm. will you read the description? Will you read the description for Burner? Uh, certainly. Charles Wilson has left home in rural Pennsylvania for the most important sales call of his career. When he realizes on the way to the airport that he's forgotten his cell phone, his lifeline to the business world, with over a thousand contacts stored in his memory banks. Wilson's cell phone has radically transformed him as a businessman and has changed the way that he conducts business since before such a device had entered his rather simple life, and now he can't live without it. In fact, Nowadays, if he was without a cell phone for even as little as an hour, Wilson felt completely cut off from the rest of the world, a world that provided him with a substantial income. Charles decides, since he has most of his contacts stored upon his laptop, the best thing he would do would be to have his wife overnight the phone to his hotel, and in the interim, he would look to purchase a burn phone, street vernacular for a prepaid cellular phone. Unfortunately, luck does not seem to be on Wilson's side, as all of the kiosks are closed at the airport, and when he arrives at his hotel, 
it is too late to make such a purchase. Charles is frustrated and berates himself for his foolishness when he is directed down a dark street, well, an alley, really, that run along, runs along the side of the hotel by a strange man sitting in the lobby. Perhaps the fates will favor him, after all, and he'll find what he's looking for. And so begins Charlie Wilson's hellish journey, and thus begins Burner, a novel of, a novel of Lovecraftian horror and cosmic menace by Thomas M. Malaparina. Lovecraftian horror. Okay. Okay. There you go. <laughs> One of my favorite things is to take regular, normal people and put them in incredibly bad situations. And I I have, you know, like I, I a lot of people ask what's your favorite novel that you've written? Well, I have I have, they're all my favorites for different reasons. But the reason this one is one of my favorites is it is completely and totally unplanned. I did not sit down to write a novel. I was just sitting here one day and decided to write a scene. Just the scene. Had no plan, had no direction, had nothing. And so I sat down and I wrote a scene. You guys don't have Burner there, do you, by any chance? I don't know if you have that there. We we do. Yeah, I do. I basically, if you want to read, I'd have to go up my shelf and get it. I basically sat down and wrote the first paragraph. I'll let you read the first paragraph or first couple lines, and then, and that's all I wrote. I just sat down to write this, and then I sat down, and I started asking myself question, what's next, what's next? So if you read that, and I'll explain what happens after that. Okay, you stop me whenever you, uh, whenever you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Tell me the part, okay? Chapter one. The tarnished brass bell dangling above the weathered front door of the establishment clanged with a tinny clank. A large man in a glistening rain-soaked black trench coat and driving cap plodded inside, dripping what seemed like gallons of water in his wake. Ancient floorboards, worn from decades of foot traffic, groaned beneath his sodden leather shoes as the musty aroma of a time long since forgotten wafted up into his sinuses. The smells were like those he had experienced before in similar business establishments, though he seldom had any need to frequent such places. However, these odors seemed somewhat more mildewed than those with which he had been previously familiar, and much more disturbing. For a brief moment, his mind produced an image of his walking down a long flight of marble steps, covered with grime and dried leaves, into an underground mausoleum housing ancient tombs of age-old rotting dead. It felt like he was walking into a place of great decay, like the very building which held the store was beginning to fester and decompose around him. You could stop there. That, that I just wrote, do something. And then I started thinking, what, what's going to happen next? And from that, this whole novel evolved. And this is one of those situations where I was like, Oh, cool! What's going to happen next? Oh man, this is this is really interesting. I wonder what's going to happen next. And and basically the premise is, you know, the guy forgot his phone. He needs it. He needs to get a burner. And this is not the kind of place where you would find a burner. It's like an antique store and an oddities and antiquities place. And he happened to have a sign in the window that said they had prepaid cell phones. So he went in. What he doesn't know is the entire thing was a setup to get him specifically to come in. And you learn later, he didn't forget his phone. He was made to forget his phone, so he would have to find a phone. So he would have to come into this place, and he would have to get a phone. Now, what you learn early in the book, and I won't won't give anything away, but what you learn early in the book is the phone he gets, and it's a very odd phone, and there's a whole scene with a guy behind the counter who transforms into a demon. It, it's really cool. But anyway, this basically, this phone he has, he's just a regular guy, regular sales guy, and he discovers that he gets a phone that opens a portal to hell. Whoa. And he, has, he starts to learn that this phone is giving him power. And this power is he can, even over long distances, he can get people who he feels deserves punishment, and it's pretty savage punishment, <laughs> pretty nasty and gory. He can do this with his cell phone. So the, the premise of the whole book then becomes 
the, you know, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think I even have that quote at the beginning. Uh, and, and it shows the transfer, transformation of this guy from simple, you know, money-making businessman to this power-hungry guy who has access to a portal to hell and can summon demons out of out of hell to do his bidding. And then it just... I won't tell you what happens later, but of course it backfires. <laughs> and uh, that all came from that little paragraph, you know. That that's kind of one of the things that make this one of my favorites. It's to me, it was like watching a movie for the first time. <laughs> you, so you mentally you bootstrap your own novel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kyle. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you mentioned Lovecraft in the description. Is he an influence? Uh, actually, no, and and I didn't write that description. I think Sunbury okay. wrote that, and, and the reason being, um, Lawrence Nor, when he first read my stuff, it was very interesting because he said, the not my style, but the themes of of my books and stories remind him of a cross between H.P. Lovecraft and uh, and Clive Barker, and I said. Well, that's interesting because I've never read H.P. Lovecraft and I never read Clive Barker. I haven't. I've seen Clive, you know, movies with H, about H.P. Lovecraft stuff, you know, from beyond and those different movies. And, of course, I've seen, uh, you know, the uh, Hellraiser series and all that stuff. But I've never read their books, so I have, you know, I, have, I had no idea. So then after that, I actually sat down, read a couple H.P. Lovecraft stories and read some Clive Barker. And I thought, I don't know. I don't see the resemblance, but who knows? <laughs> it's not for me to what, judge. What are the themes of your stories? What I mean, are obviously, the... you have so many that you have different themes in each one, but uh, you said Larry oh, yeah. uh, pointed out the overarching themes. The overarching themes of some of your stories, what would you say are themes that recur in your writing? Uh, probably one thing that I like to do best um, – well, there's, there's several things. One, one of them is, as I said earlier, I like to have bad things happen to good people. I like to have good people thrust into incredibly bad situations um, because that's really, if you think about it, that's the whole point of horror, the idea that it can't happen to me, and then all of a sudden you discover it can happen to you, and, and that, that's what makes things so horrible. So I, I, I like to do that. Um, another thing I like to do is on occasion, if there's somebody who's really, really disgustingly bad, I like to see them get their comeuppance, and that gives me a good chance yeah. to, to turn the tables and be really gory. I, I enjoy that. Um, I, in the beginning, I tried to do only, you know, um, monster type horror and try to avoid, you know, try to avoid human on human stuff um, because there's enough of that in the evening news. And I still try to avoid it, but sometimes I, I include it just so that I can take that bad guy and give him what he deserves. So I don't preach. There's no, no moral thing here, but it's nice once in a while to see the guy who deserves it get it but you know that's just that's just an occasional thing but i do love you know putting because i'm i'm basically a real boring guy if you ask my wife she'll say i'm the most boring guy she knows uh and and i like taking people who lead normal boring lives and put them in impossible situations and see what happens well, we're, we're starting to run out of time, and I think it's a real shame because we're, we're going to have to have you back. Because you're say, I mean, you oh, may sure, say you, you may say you're a boring guy, but you, not only are you fascinating to talk to, but we've just barely scratched the surface of your books. Uh, oh, yeah. I tell you what, uh, I, I, as much as I'd love to talk about um, what waits beneath some more, uh, we, we just don't have the time for it. But I'd like to turn it over to Joe. Uh, to ask one surprising question, we have a, a little bit over thirty seconds. So one surprise, uh, maybe maybe a little bit silly question. He has asked that occasionally to our guests, and get your response, and that'll do it. Joe, okay. Um, for you personally, Tom, from birth mm -hmm. to present day, what is the single most terrifying moment you've ever had in your entire life? Oh boy, let me see. Personal, personally terrifying. I would have to say 
I've had a pretty smooth life. So I would just have to say when I read The Exorcist, when I read The Exorcist, I was looking behind my, over my shoulder for about a month after that. That was a very traumatic.